Hello, Internet. Uh, we're here with Caleb Stokes of Hebanon Games. Uh, we're going to talk with him uh, about his latest scenario, Revelations, which has just come out. Uh, it's available for download, um, I believe, on your website, and it's on DriveThruRPG, too, right? And all the sister sites, yeah. Oh. RPG Now and Wargame Collective and, and things all like the, that. Yeah, all the, the, the nine or so sites that link to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk to the people who buy it off of War Game. Like, like how do you find that? Have you have you gotten what, have you gotten what are you doing? Have you gotten sales off yeah. of there? Yeah, I've got like three or four. One of them even gave me money. It was weird. I just feel like I, I'm, I'm thankful. I just want to like know why. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess on I guess on a deep level, I mean, I, I don't want to do, yeah. I don't want to derail the entire interview by talking about why War Gamers <laughs> would buy this, but I think on a deep well, I got one off Drive Through Comics. I'm like, there's. There's three pictures in the whole thing. I mean, nerds, really ner- ner- nerds are nerds. Yeah. You go to you go to <laughs> one. If somebody's somebody's there, they I guess they buy you know Call of Cthulhu and Pathfinder scenarios. <laughs> yeah. Behind it. Oh uh, yeah, I've already derailed the interview. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. It happens. It's it. You know, we're a very professional podcast. <laughs> um, we have literally dozen of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. So just kick this off. Jump right in the deep end. Um. Revelations, it's very much a departure from your normal writing style, as far as I can tell. I've read through all the previous no-security scenarios, and they're fairly linear in terms of the storytelling in that Dangers of Fraternization, Bryson Springs, Red Tower, they're all kind of variations on an investigation. And yeah. while they're all, they are definitely open-ended and have their own nuances and complexities, they're pretty traditionally structured. And then yes. the fall without end is literally you climb up a mountain and then horrible things happen to you there. It's linear in the worst way. Yeah, exactly. Straight down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Revelations, on the other hand, is impressively non-linear. Um, so my question is, what brought about the style switch, and do you prefer it? Um, well, uh, all of the scenarios in the No Security Pact are obviously very Lovecraftian, um, even though I am trying to get past the the metagaming weight that comes along with playing Lovecraftian stuff. Sure. You know, some 30 years down the road from Call of Cthulhu, uh, which is a great game and I owe everything to, but um, (laughs) there's a million different ways to play that kind of stuff now. Exactly. There's all sorts of different things that are scary that are in this tone of that, but aren't, you know, like, oh, that's a bio key. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's got, um, it's got name recognition, which is the problem. Yeah. Uh, so all the no security scenarios are like that. And with each one, I'm kind of hitting uh, more, you know, different Lovecraftian-like themes. So Fall Without End was my Mountains of Madness, quite sure. literally. <laughs> um and Revelations is the more apocalyptic stuff. And uh, when thinking about it, I mean, uh, Revelations is pretty linear in terms of what happens before the characters get involved. Like, that sure. is a very clear beginning, middle, and end uh, when you read that. But the the thing about the apocalypse is that it's the, the apocalypse because it's it goes after everyone and it's evenly distributed. So um, it, when I was writing Revelations... Uh, from my initial play test, which was just like uh, two pages of Bible quotes I wrote down and, you know, uh, a map of my hometown in my head. <laughs> uh, I, w- I, was, I was coming up against the fact that I couldn't really structure it like I'd structured the other ones. And so, you know, I decided that, you know, I have a finite amount of locations. And then I commissioned the map from Stephen Worthington and then once I got the map, that really helped me write the rest of the scenario because I'm like, all right, then I can move it through in a traditional, 
you know, climactic plot structure, but I will just have that structure mirrored at every location on the map. Yeah, yeah, uh, the map map is pretty fantastic. It definitely helps quite a bit. Yeah, it's really good work. So. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Um, and is it? Yeah. I, ironically, ironically, the scenario is agnostic of all things, <laughs> in that it continues on whether or not you want it to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And is is that a, a writing style that you that you kind of prefer now uh, after um, Revelations? Like it, it's you know, it, it's structured in, in that it is, as you said, it has climactic motion throughout fourteen different locations and can kind of continues on no matter what the players do. Yeah. Is, is that something, is something that you think you prefer to write from now on? Like is, is revelations kind of the, how, how your scenarios are going to continue or is it going to be a return to sort of investigation style off of that? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I would like to write stuff like this uh, again. Um, the, the problem with making it completely open-ended is that it is a little bit more labor intensive, sure. um, yeah. which is why this one took me the longest of all of them to write. And, and is the longest of all of them, I believe, unless... Uh, well, Wives is probably going to be longer. Um, okay. But it, it, I wrote that in two weeks, so... Although, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> if, I may, if I may interject, this isn't... Uh, the way these the events happen here isn't terribly different from how they happen in an investigation. Because uh, in an investigation, things still happen independently of the players. People have motivations, and they're going to be at places at times. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I, I was really when I when I made it like this, uh, it, it was it started because of the apocalyptic mindset, you know, evenly distributed across the place, or else it's not the apocalypse. Mm. But at the same time, I, I really kind of wanted to go to a, a, a Detweiler esque school of game design, uh, <laughs> especially in terms of Lovecraftian things. Uh, the idea was that aside from the apocalypse being evenly distributed. Uh, I really wanted to give a sense of, you know, the hopelessness and inevitability that's really uh, profound in Lovecraftian literature. And I feel like the best person writing for that kind of stuff now is uh, Dennis Detweiler, because, you know, I don't know. They, I mean, there really is no victory scenario in his games. Um, <laughs> really is not. There really is not. And Are those the ones where he doesn't even know the backstory himself? <laughs> Like like time radiation, just uh, future perfect is what I was thinking about. Where like um, even if you do absolutely everything perfectly, you are irradiated to the point of cancerous death. Oh right, <laughs> you die within weeks. Like, and that's like you win, and you have no way of knowing or stopping it. Right. And I did. I didn't want to. I didn't want to make it that bad, but I did want a scenario that you know, if it's the apocalypse, it didn't really hold people's hands. So. Um, as it says in the GM information, there is a way to win and there is a way to stop it, but you will stumble onto that. Like everything yeah. else will just be crazy, terrible things happening around you. Uh, so, you know, it'll be either the GM being nice and kind of railroading you there, or you will pick the right place at the right time. Otherwise <laughs> it's just horrible shit happening. Otherwise you're like everybody else in the town, you know? Yeah. you're just powerless against this horrific thing happening. So. Yeah, and that in that vein it reminded me of a it reminded me of a Carcosa scenario in as much as like uh, and and you kind of write it you kind of write it in a similar vein in the beginning of in the beginning of your game uh, in the beginning of the module saying that if you have players that like to win this is not a scenario for you but if you have players <laughs> if you have players that want to just experience something yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of that kind of thing, and that's where I was saying that it was sort of like um, a Shane Ivy kind of game, 
uh, where I, I, I might be getting this wrong, but it was in a, it was in the Unspeakable podcast that uh, that I think it was Shane Ivey said he he sometimes would write scenarios where it's just it's just things happening and you can't solve it. Like people asked Shane after the game what this scenario is, like what's happening. He says, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like that. And in the case of that game, it's not about victory; it's about a discovery. Um, and yeah, when I initially uh, wrote the scenario, it was definitely more along those lines. Uh, I, I understand that that's not going to be really appealing to other players. Sometimes, though, just depending on their style. So you know, there is you know there is a way to figure out what is happening and, and what it is uh, without being like. Oh, it's Carcosa. I instantly look for copies of the yellow sign in the library. Like And tear off all masks from everyone's faces. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. like Ross would do, you know, like or somebody who's been playing Cthulhu for twenty years. Like that's not the the solution is not something you would know of because it's, you know, dark eldritch knowledge. So um yeah. but it is very reminiscent of that. And um there there is a way to like survive and win it, but even that's not very comforting. Like yeah. Well, and it's funny in the in the uh, session of it that I ran um, for for the group, uh, it, it actually was just serendipitous that one of the players decided to have a Germanic background, and then they chose just by random the year to residence to go and investigate for one of the plot hooks, and then they just followed it to its natural conclusion, and they actually won the scenario one in quotation marks because <laughs> you know. One, one person was erased from history, one person <laughs> had his son die horrifically, and then, you know, Matt's character bore, bore witness to it all and, and ended the scenario drinking alone in his room. <laughs> but yeah, it was just... Nobody, nobody that's exactly that what I was going for. That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can kind of metagame the scenario. It, all of the... Um, everything that happens is, I won't say painstakingly biblically researched, because it's, you know... <laughs> Nobody, no sane person would ever interpret the Bible that way, except for all the crazy people who do. Um, but, right. but once you started picking up on that, like you could easily metagame your thinking. It's like, oh, the preacher's house or the church. Maybe I should go look at that. Like, uh, so you know, it's not unwinnable. But I, I did want to, you know, ramp up the difficulty level and just give a sense of escalation across the town. So, and then, of, and yeah. then of course, like right at the end, like the thing, like because the the book is written, the book is written in German, so good luck reading that. But like <laughs> right at right at the end, um, if we didn't have a, if we didn't happen to have a character from Germany in the party who had, you know, German as natural language and English at sixty five percent, the like you 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 have that you have that last kind of. Um, for lack of better terms, Hail Mary, in that the tree of knowledge just fucking pops up and <laughs> yeah. you can just eat the fruit and like, oh, you know literally everything about everything, including the scenario. <laughs> and then you die shortly afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, and that vein, that kind of leads into my next question um, and, and sort of, not less question, more discussion topic, I think. Um, but because the scenario is so apocalyptic in both theme and execution, it almost seems, and I say almost, but it's a scenario that doesn't really care if the players have agency within it. Uh, you know, they can, if, if they choose the wrong path, they just, they're just part of the town and, and, and die. I mean, and that, it's very clearly something you were going for, and is, is that something that you think will, should be or will be more present in your games, or, or is that something that is very specific to this scenario only? Um, 
Well, like the really nonlinear structure, I, you know, I'm not. It's something I'd like to do again if the material calls for it. But it's not something I'm gonna like. Uh, you know, Revelations, Revelations is not like a sea change. I mean, sure. I, I'm gonna write stuff like that again, hopefully. But you know, it's not like I'm gonna do every scenario like that because I perfectly understand. You know, for a number of reasons, it's not for everybody. Um, yeah. But you know, you know, it's just material I was interested in. And I wanted to kind of push myself in terms of like designing something differently, um, and uh, see if I could do it in a systemless kind of tone, uh, because you know I, I found that to be rather difficult with Revelations. Like when when I didn't have stat blocks or any kind of like accepted thing about the setting, and then I and I threw that on top of a kind of atypical design structure. Um, it was it was more of a challenge for me to write. So I plan on doing that, but. Um, no, I'm, I'm not going to, like, repeat, like, there will be victory scenarios and, like, adventures I write in the future. It won't be all just hopelessness and death, but, uh, I, I'm kind of tackling... That's a darn shame. Yeah, I'm kind of... Yeah, clearly, clearly you're not writing as the Chaosium intended. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, it'll be sad and scary, but, like, you know, uh, there, you could get a lucky dice roll and it would matter, unlike, you know, hey, that kid's possessed by a demon. It doesn't matter what I roll. Um, or, or you're in the dining room and suddenly there's a lion. Yeah, yeah or what suddenly there's a lion who is actually the devil. Uh, <laughs> take this on, to take this on a slight tangent, that is, that's my favorite kind of like just. Um, it, it it reminded me of a you the the whole Masonic Lodge scene. Um, and I know we're trying to be sp- general, but this is a specific scene that stuck out to me just because of. <laughs> so you have the part where the the arrows and the sword come to life and they become ideal weapons if you can hold them in such a way they don't consume you. And <laughs> yeah. then the next thing that happens is that the devil shows up. So what the thing that happened here is that one of the character the the, the uh, German character finished reading the book and he was he was in the Masonic Lodge and suddenly this lion shows up. And our character's like he's able to make a few dodge checks and one of and our character's um here that uh, here you know there's a fucking lion fighting a guy upstairs and so one the the uh, Josh's character who was a football player runs up the stairs and we know from the Bible verse that oh these arrows are a great these arrows are a great weapon that they're drunk with the blood of the enemies and they seek yeah. more and so he and he's a football player so he has high throw so he grabs it throws it off the wall like Chris is throwing check and then it just fucking spirals off course and kills the German character's kid. <laughs> because because and it's just like it's just specifically in there that they're too, they're too drunk and you must have a level of sobriety to hit the devil and so it's this I want to I want to be the guy moment where you think you figured out the game and then the game has only set you up to think you've understood the game so that it can hit you harder. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was, was, I don't it was know, pretty fantastic. I don't I know if that was... I as many of those moments in there as I could, so... I guess I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> that you're good at designing death traps. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, the the main idea about Revelations is that they're, they're linguistic death traps. They're like death yeah. traps made by poor translation of mm-hmm. translations. So I tried to stay as literal to, like, English King James Version as possible. Uh, you know, which I think, personally, from a theocratic faith perspective, is absolutely crazy. 
Um, but you know, <laughs> they people really. But people really do that. Like people who live around me really believe that stuff. And I just, you know, if you read it cover to cover, it doesn't. That book does not work that way. Like it does many wonderful things, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff in it. Well, I mean, yeah, you. I, I think that the whole thing you're trying to take from it is uh, that, that you actually say in there is it's not a, it's not an attack on religion or on it's not an attack on religion or on the Bible. It's a thing that if you read it, if you read all these things and and yeah, as you said, take them literally, it's crazy. Although it's yeah. interesting to say that people 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 um, the two versions of the Bible that's or I guess the three versions of the Bible that people um, most commonly read nowadays are the. Uh, the Latter-day Saints are a big fan of the King James Version because it's the first translation and has been through the fewest numbers of hands. While And then others go with the New Revised Standard Version or the New International Version, which um, I think the King James Bible has been through the fewest hands. The New Revised Standard Version is supposed to be the best representation of all of the words, and everybody says the New International Version is the best, uh, the best interpretation of the meaning as best you can from a thing that was handed down by... You know, uh, by storytellers for hundreds of years before they invented writing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's when we get into that kind of edition war, it's like it's a war that has no end. So, um, so yeah, that was the key to me: pick one edition, pull direct quotes from the book, and then you know just extrapolate on like you're a thing that doesn't understand human beings, morality, most of language in the terms that humans would think of it. And or have any context whatsoever. <laughs> or any context whatsoever, how would you envision this? And like it's yeah. pretty uniformly scary. Like but uh you know, it is a very postmodern idea, like in terms of, you know, Derrida and uh Wittgenstein and uh, you know, ideas of, you know, the sign and signifier, you know, they cannot and never will match up. And you know, that that's a big theme uh in all literature. Uh, and you know the you know the scenario is just you know taking that really abstract concept and making it you know yeah. to she bears that you can shoot guns at, <laughs> um, yeah, because you know I'm a I'm a deep philosophical artist. Like <laughs> I think I think I think uh, I think within all of us lies the um, lies the uh, you know the desire for a pair of she bears or a good old dinosaur laser fight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially when it's got layers and layers of meaning. <laughs> the dinosaur laser um, fight is layers of science. <laughs> so kind of on that note, um, I, I gotta imagine that all the writing, writing all the Bible turned literal events, must have been an interesting exercise. And I know which one is my favorite, and it's the bears. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious which one is yours, because uh, I don't think I could have picked it out of a lineup if if I tried. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, Kings is good. Kings is a really good one. Uh, I don't. I, I like the mistranslation of maggots into bees because uh, that's in a lot of different texts, and that's just so that's just so creepy to me. Um, the plagues are always fun. I, I think my favorite has to be the goat, and I think I put him at the factory. Uh, the goat whose horn grows into the sky and knocks down the stars. Yeah, yeah, sweeps the stars yeah. out like snowflakes. Yeah, like it doesn't do anything to you; it just kind of glares at you with its creepy rectangular goat eyes. I think that's probably my favorite. So. Cool, cool. Um, and I've I've just got one last final sort of discussion talking point, and that's that um, there seems to be 
I can say seems to be there's a strong case to be made that there's no true enemy in Revelations. You know, Andrew Yerta is misguided and insane, but while maybe a little malicious, it doesn't isn't really malevolent, and the uh, the the entity certainly is not. And I mean, it, this was was this your intention, or you know, is that something that you kind of ascribe to as a on a villainless scenario? I like the fact that he was, you know, a very sensitive, genius young man in a very uh, visible position, and that uh, he was, you know, very constrained by his upbringing and his faith and his family, and that when he lapsed, he was not forgiven, and that uh, his genius was never truly appreciated there, and so he took it elsewhere. So, yeah, I like the fact that he's kind of a broken person, and that's just why it happens, and that uh, Nautis doesn't you know, give a damn about humanity one way or the other. It's just doing its job, basically. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely wanted it to be kind of um, cold that way. I mean, because if you have that level of religious fervor, you, you know, death doesn't matter. It's only the eternal soul. Um, sure. So he would think he was being the good guy. And then I also like that at the end game is that I wrote it where people were, you know, wiped from existence and it never happened. And then I had a, I had a great reader, Thad, from the podcast read it. And he's like, okay, well, what do the players do with Andrew after they stop him from committing a crime? And I just thought that was, like, a beautiful bit of Christian symbolism that I could have never, like, ever anticipated. Because, like, do you drive over to his house and kill that kid for sinning in thought rather than in action? Because, you know... If in fact you succeed in the scenario, it he never did anything. But yeah, he never acted. But from what you remember, he's the greatest, you know, killer in all of history. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I did not think I didn't even notice that until Thad pointed it out, and then I immediately went back and kind of wrote that in. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, keeping yeah. him kind of as an innocent was uh, within you know. Uh, his crazy framework was kind of my intention. Yeah, well, I guess I mean, I guess in that in that vein, I mean, it doesn't differ terribly from uh, from a lot of other Cthulhu scenarios, and that you have somebody who wants to impart a great change and then ends up dabbling in and ends up dabbling in things that he can't control that end up that don't care, but their power is so great that they just destroy everything because. And that's uh, yeah, that's just uh, cosmic horror to a T, I guess. <laughs> that's kind of a theme in um, some of the no security scenarios. You know, Bryson Spring starts off that way. The guy starts off trying to cure the drought uh, and then goes nuts. Uh, and then yeah, uh, well, I do have villains, but you know, some people are just. And if you yeah, if you've read Lover in the Ice, uh, the yeah. guy who takes the terrible creature back to America. <laughs> Is just horrifically confused and, and actually, broken. He doesn't know what he's doing. Whitehead. Yeah, actually, poor Whitehead. Um, I actually, I guess that's kind of the thing that this isn't. I guess it's a villainous scenario. It's a villainless scenario, but it's not a villainless story. It's just that um, this is like the this is the end of Watchmen, where they go up to Ozymandias and said, "Well, thank God we stopped you from doing this." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, Spoilers for anyone who hasn't read Watchmen. You had you know um, <laughs> the, uh, 27 years to read that. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Way to go. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's it's funny that you mentioned the the part about the uh, the the sort of epilogue with Andrew being, you know, sort of something that you hadn't originally intended. Because when I was reading the scenario, that was what stuck with me the most. Was that was kind of the most haunting moment? Is that ending of what now? 
Oh yeah, no, Thad was in China when he like sent me that email asking me that, and I wanted to get on a boat and go hug him for it because <laughs> it just never even occurred. You know, that's the kind of like just not from even an RPG design scenario, from a writing anything scenario. Like that's the reason you show other people you work and you go to writing workshops and you do all that. Like, and yeah, it's great that you you know caught that comma you missed but like that's not the magic moment like the magic moment is like yeah. where you realize where you wanted to say the entire time because somebody else said it to you uh so <laughs> yeah it's my favorite part of the scenario too yeah well it's it's a strong ending um and then also i guess in that vein like um it says that he hadn't done the thing but it's, he's still done all the research. He still understands it and has and has like the the thing that the thing that posed that I didn't think about immediately, but came to me later is like, okay, well, it, it's similarly to the end of the original playtest. You made everything as it was. How yeah. long until it happens again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the I still kind of want to do the short fiction, but I, I did short fiction rewards for um, no security. And before the idea for Wives of March and that short story came to me, and I put it on Smashwords, I was going to write that kind of fiction. Like, you're the ro- like the rookie comes back into town from running an errand, and then his fellow cops are like, all right, come on, Rook. And then you go to some kid's house and just execute him in his room, and he doesn't know why. And it's because he died in the scenario, and so he doesn't remember anything bad happening. But his coworkers, you know, saw a friend erased from existence and know that the kid's a monster. But the rookie just thinks that the entire town's gone crazy and executed this kid. So uh, <laughs> that was my short. Other, I still may do that one day. But yeah, that's 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 that'll that'll fit right there along with the cult of two and horrific <laughs> short stories that I've read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I need to write something more lighthearted after. <laughs> no maybe do a, maybe do some comedy scenarios, you know. Yeah, some. If uh... Lou goes to the mayor, or just, <laughs> or I don't know, just write paranoia. Just write a million paranoia games. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I like that. Maybe My Little Pony games or something. I don't know. Just really lighten it up. I mean, honestly, honestly, uh, your style of writing paranoia might actually work for you. <laughs> that's the big. Um, Sentient, gigantic computer. It's it's like if Douglas Adams. The law, yeah. Yeah, it's like if Douglas Adams yep, wrote 1984. Yep. <sighs> all right, well that's that's all the kind of points I wanted to hit on this on the scenario. Um, it's it's fantastic. I I absolutely recommend uh, going and picking it up, um, reading through it, running it. Um, if you get a chance to play in it, good luck. I wish you well. <laughs> uh, just a quick antidote. Like I've gotten some. Uh, some play reports from people who played it before, and I, uh-huh. I love that you guys finished it because, like, the other group that did it, they literally just by Act Three, they just holed up in the sheriff's office and waited <laughs> and waited for the end. Like the scenario <laughs> ended, they just it was like the end of the mist or something. Just, just oh, wait wow. for death to come. Yeah. Also, I like um, I like that in your in your description of Act Four. You say to take a poetic license as as the as the entire world is can is it fades into blackness and also then you add in parentheticals. Also, please note that black as a color and concept will also disappear. <laughs> I wrote that as a joke to myself, fully intending to take it out. It's actually a pretty good error. Um, yeah, that's, but yeah, that's excellent. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, cool. Uh, 
Alright, so the scenario is Revelations. Uh, this is Caleb Stokes with Heaven on Games. Um, you get all the stuff available uh, through his website or DriveThruRPG and its various many successors. Uh, and this has been The Drunk and the Ugly. Uh, so I guess, good night, Internet. Bye. Good night.